Welcome back, Cal and listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode 12. So Cal, we talked about leverage last time, but I wanted to ask a question. What is the value in something and how do you know? It's a really subjective question, I would think, but I guess it can make all the difference when it comes down to it. So my basic idea of what the value is in something is, let's say that can be quantified or valued in terms of money would be how much is someone willing to pay for that thing and what can it contribute to in terms of adding a service or education or some sort of added advantage towards your life that can help you improve in one way or the other. So that's basically how I think of it. What about you? Yeah, I think of value as buying something with an equity position under a market price. So it's got to be highly liquid. It doesn't really depreciate. So this means something is in demand and can be easily sold. And it's something that you want to use. So to me, the ultimate valuable item is something that's immensely useful, helps you learn and grow. I think you touched on the same things. I mean, we don't always think about what the definition is. You sometimes just know. So it's good that we talked about it because it sets a framework for how to think about finding value, right? So I always say that the smartphone is the most valuable thing to my life because it has all those properties we talked about. So I would say that there's almost a value equation that you can write out. And if you find some of those qualities aren't there, maybe the demand is more scarce than the equation changes. So instead of an iPhone, maybe you bought some obscure Android phone on the Chinese market. So it may be useful, but the resale might not be great in Canada or US. So it might be valuable to you, but you probably have to ride that out till the end of its life because flipping it might be hard. It might not be valuable to others. So it definitely is subjective. And there's a sliding scale of maybe everyone wants something, maybe a few. So It's a personal decision. There's no right answer. But if you run into depreciation or something that you don't want is hard to sell in the future, I would argue that the value of that item is low. And that changes over time. It might have high demand at launch, something like a limited release of a car with low supply and high demand. You might be able to ask over market price. Similarly, on the flip side, imagine you find a really good deal at normal price, but somebody selling for cheaper, someone might want to unload the product. So there's different ways to think of that. And if you see the value, it might be worth capturing. So we talked about what value is, but what is value investing? Value investing is basically you would put your money towards some sort of investment that you believe is at a good price right now. It's at a price a lot less than what you think it should be worth and that you believe it'll grow in the near term or long term future. And let's not mix up a good price with value because they're two separate things. Sometimes you can find something cheap, but like you said, it might not necessarily be good value. Cheap product or a cheap investment or a cheap stock doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good value for yourself to invest in. Yeah. I think Warren Buffett said it's better to buy a great company at a fair price than a fair company at a great price. And that kind of is 
alluding to what you were talking about, which is don't go for the cheapest good all the time or the cheapest investment just because it's cheap. So you don't buy a thousand penny stocks, perhaps. And again, it's not financial advice, but that's kind of what he means by that. So why is value so subjective? You made a good point, which is something's valuable if it makes you income. I would argue that if you can capture that income opportunity yourself, let's say you can get a good deal on a car and you know how to sell cars, then to you, you might see that opportunity as worth doing. But why is it always not so clear? And why is it almost opaque or ambiguous? What makes value so elusive to find? It's a difficult question to answer just because of the subjectivity of it, as I mentioned, because what you see value in something, others might not. And that's where the opportunity lies. You can look at an old house and you see an absolutely amazing opportunity. So you buy this broken down house that needs renovating and some money put into it that you can turn that house into something that's attractive for people to buy eventually. And that way you can turn a profit. But others who don't know much about flipping homes would look at it and think it's junk. It's kind of in the eye of the beholder. It helps if you know the product or you know the investment. And that's why in sales, it's important to create value for a customer. And so it's not about telling them how good a deal it is. It's about how good the product is for the money they're spending. So if you create that value, you can actually make sense of making that purchase or an investment. So how to identify value? Again, the opportunity is all there, but it comes down to the investor to do their research and try to be convinced in that because it doesn't mean you're right or wrong. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? Yeah. See, I like what you said. See value where others don't. And I believe I heard that in a good book. It was called Zero to One. So the background of the guy is he founded PayPal or co-founded rather. And I usually don't recommend a lot of books to read, but this one stood out because he talked about why does one business do well and others don't? A lot of businesses aren't easy. So you've got a retail store, especially now we've got this craziness with COVID that's kind of shut down essentially a lot of retail and businesses have to pivot. They got to pivot online, go to where the customer is. They can't just stay and not survive. So I think what was really cool about the book was it talked about how do you monopolize a space instead of trying to be the hundredth restaurant? People in the tech space joke that the restaurant business is not a good business. And I joke that if they knew about the car business, they'd pick that example because we always fight on the margin for a customer. And that customer is often already decided they want the product and the brand, but between franchise dealerships, you'll fight on price and it gets super dangerous for the long-term viability of that business model because you're not really building the merits of the product. You're not focusing on the best product out there versus the competition or like Cal said, building value without this car, I couldn't imagine life. That is the ultimate. So I use Tesla as an example because they're doing some cool things, making what I call an iPhone on wheels and the product keeps getting better and better. That's a standout example. So in the tech space, people talk about 
making something 10x better. So don't even start a business unless your product's 10x better than the competition because if it's not innovative, you're going to fight for that 5% of customers that already have brand affinity to the main one or two players. And maybe we can use Uber and Lyft as an example. Do you really want to start a ride-sharing company when there's so many? So who's going to download another app when they already have two on their phone? Getting that customer to even go to the app store is tough. So you need a product that's so good that the virality is there. If someone tries it, they're going to go tell two or three people. And I think that's part of the secret on the building side of making a product or service valuable is that people can't live without it. They really, really are obsessed. So you need customer obsession. And I know that's one of Jeff Bezos's pillars on his business is customer obsession. And it shows they do amazing things. And even now in the down market, they've built this business that thrives in the age of people staying at home. So whether that was planned or opportunistic is an example of creating value to people who can't go to stores. And it's something to think about. Yeah, a great point you've made there because what is the value there is convenience and the ability to do something. So there is a need in the market. So in this scenario, like you said, with Amazon, what they're doing is help a lot of people to order things online, whether it was food or equipment or anything really with convenience. So it's an opportunity for Amazon. So going back to the dealership model, the difference between two dealerships of the same brand is what one can provide in terms of service and after sale compared to the other. The product is the same, but the experience isn't. And that's where the value can be added. So it's a very good point you bring out there. Same thing with Tesla's, whether they're profitable or not, some people might argue that's another story. I'm from the school of believing they're definitely on their way there. I just looked at a graph today. It was in 2010. Tesla's market cap was about 50 times less than Ford and GM combined. And now in 2020, it's about double that of Ford and GM combined. So you're talking about two automotive giants that basically have been around for over 100 years. And then this new player comes, does the same thing to manufacture vehicles. But what's it about those vehicles? how they deliver their after-sale, their products, their upgrades, and all of that makes the entire difference there. And that's value for a lot of people. Yeah. It really nods to the modern age of click a button, order your food, order an Uber, order a Tesla. So the value for people, I find I've driven one, the product just so, so innovative and cool. I'm a techie guy. I like that kind of thing. It's kind of something you have to experience. And I know there's a stat, something like 97% of owners would get another one. Those are basically, as a business, Apple-style rabid fan base. I would argue they've got very strong margins and they're not really accounting for software yet. So once they release full self-driving, they'll account for software revenue, pushing their margins closer to 30%. They're kind of breaking the system. They're really product focused on fast innovation. Their roadmap's really, really crazy. And when I've talked to other brands, I've been to conferences, I've been to techie events here in Canada, and I've talked to VPs and 
head of product innovation and some are doing cool things. Some are really inspiring, but some of them discount what they're doing. They don't pay attention. And the biggest threat to your business is not necessarily another car. It's a change in your business. So if it's a change you're not prepared for, it could be the camera industry switching to smartphones, wiping out an industry overnight. Or for example, what if people go to ride sharing in self-driving cars and people stop buying cars? That's something I know that's been proposed by the people working in these spaces for a while. And if that happens, that truly is a case of seeing values where others don't because it's as if it's impossible until it's not. And if you ask the average person, is this going to happen? They could never imagine that. And they probably couldn't imagine the internet and the iPhone in the 80s. So you almost have to be a visionary to make these things. And you almost have to have an open mind to imagine the future possibility that a company could get there. So it takes a bit of a leap of faith. But I think the best capture of value is to imagine what the future value of a company is or a product and place your bets on that. Great points there. Just a couple of things I want to touch up on what you mentioned. First of all, for those who don't know, 30% profit margin is enormous in the automotive industry. So on their way to get to that point is very, very impressive on Tesla's behalf because with that kind of customer attention and growing interest, that's value building for those who actually are buying their products. This also proves to our listeners, John, you're a professional in the automotive industry. You've been doing this for a long time and you're very well aware of what's going on with Tesla and with its competitors and with other companies that are not directly competing with them in the automotive industry. But because you know what it's like, it gives you an insight of what the potentials are for Tesla and potential ride-sharing, autonomous driving, and all of that. And that's where value stems for you. You can see value in that company where someone who perhaps doesn't know about the automotive industry as well, they might not see value. They think people are not ready to buy electric vehicles just yet. People are still buying cars with internal combustion engines, maybe some hybrid models. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's a good point. And I'm not going to get too technical, but I think the mistake a lot of retail investors do is they'll value the company based on past performance. So if you ask Jeff Bezos, how did he do last quarter? He doesn't care. He's thinking 12 quarters ahead. He's got that forward-looking vision of where he's going to be. And those are the kinds of people you want to look out for who can see the future and who make the future happen. So past numbers don't matter. It's about future growth, pace of innovation, the vision to change the world. And I think that's quite rare because a lot of people, even C-level executives, they'll pay more attention to how good they look, their paycheck, their fifth house, than really wanting to make a shift in the world for the better. And I find that very rare. So when you find someone who's hyper-focused on bringing something to market or changing an industry because it will fundamentally help humanity or 
will change how people live their lives. I think you don't have to buy into it. I'm not asking you to drink the Kool-Aid, but remember the skepticism in not being sure, well, is this person legit? Are they actually doing cool things? And then wait five years, see what happens. And whether it's the Netflix of the world or Amazon or a lot of these tech companies, that's why they return such immense value for shareholders is because their market share grows, their customer satisfaction is really high, their user base is high, and especially in the case of software, margins can be figured out. The incremental download doesn't cost much for the company, but provides revenue. So we've talked about subscription services. This is the common model for even former giants like Microsoft who've had a resurgence in their business model. A lot of businesses have moved to subscriptions. So as a business, it's almost if you have a product that works or it could be a service and you charge monthly, it's almost easy math to figure out. And we talked a little bit about value, Cal. How do you go about finding valuable companies, especially in a down market like this with everything upside down on its head, massive unemployment? Where do you start to look? A few weeks ago, the market has dropped violently because of the uncertainty that happened and is still happening. So the shock was quite severe. And at one point, people just started jumping into the stock market for the first time, thinking, you know, it's a good time to buy, good time to invest. The challenge with that is not everyone is going to survive this downturn. You have companies that are struggling with their performance in terms of sales or service. People are not as out there. There's not much money churning around. So some companies will not survive this. And even some big companies will not survive this. No one really knows. For example, one very big company that actually just filed for bankruptcy a week ago from the recording of this podcast. And a lot of people didn't see that happening. And there's a lot of money that went into it from big hedge funds. And not many people saw that coming. So it doesn't mean that it's a big corporation that will not go under and it's a good time to invest because the price of their stock or their bonds were attractive. So you got to really proceed with caution here. And I believe the good value companies are the ones that you feel that they would survive during such a time, right? On the other hand, you have going back to Amazon, just because it's been quite the shining star lately, it's doing very, very well in these times. So even though right now trading at all-time highs, it's never been at a higher price. Again, this is not financial advice, but it could arguably be an attractive proposition there as a good value company. I don't have any vested interest in Amazon, but I'm just saying it could arguably be for some people. So who knows, but it's very difficult to pinpoint what the good value is or not. If you believe because you know something in terms of you understand the certain sector or industry, or you truly believe that the current trading price of that stock, and it doesn't have to be with the stock market, it could be with anything, even with buying a business, maybe from someone else that you believe there's potential there. That's how you find value. You know what? You made a good point about survivability because I know in the tech space, there'll be tech company darlings that might get a press bump or be hot in the moment and be in the spotlight. But 
if that business doesn't have sustainable growth, it could come and go and you could find yourself buying at the top or maybe miscalculating that opportunity. So I guess the point of all of this is that you want to use your knowledge you've learned over time and develop a unique perspective about where is the world going? Where are customers going to shop? What's going to be commonplace? What's valuable in the future? And I like that because I really believe in the multiple return style of investing. So you're not worried about, is this the right time? Am I buying a little bit too expensive in terms of a share price? You skip all those questions that you could argue endlessly in your head about. So all important things. So to summarize, I believe looking for value in something that can return a multiple in changing industries that would survive over the long term, like Cal said. And do you have any closing thoughts, Cal, on value? Yeah, ultimately value is seeing something that someone or some company can deliver where maybe others won't. Awesome. Very good points. You're basically trying to find the diamond in the rough. So go out there, find the diamond. And if you're a little bit hesitant about if it's true, that's because no one can really truly see the future. So make many bets. Don't go all in as we talked about and that should set you up for the future. So I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in. This is Methodical Millions episode 12. If you'd like to follow future episodes, you can find us at methodicalmillions.com or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback. Thanks, everyone.